Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, thank you for taking time to be with us today, whether you are watching this live or maybe you're watching it and or listening to it on the archive. Uh, we are starting a brand new series today. The Wednesday Bible Study has been around for a little over seven years now, coming to you from uh, uh, the Broadcast Plaza here at, at the Rick and Bubba Studios. Uh, I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and director of themanchurch.com. Uh, this started out foundationally as a men's Bible study from my local church, and now it has grown uh, into a Bible study that, uh, that we all uh, spend time together all around the world. Uh, we literally have people listening in other countries and, and watching the Bible study every week or listening to it, and we thank you for being here, whatever the situation may be. I do want to do a little bit of business before we, we get going. Um, letting you know, themanchurch.com is, is a, a hub where you can go and get anything that you need for a comprehensive game plan to reach and disciple the men of your church, the men of your community, uh, whatever the case may be. And uh, we launched this two years ago. Uh, well, actually, not quite two years yet, about a year and a half ago. Uh, and uh, it is going out into churches everywhere. So part of it, the way the game plan works, and you can find it at themanchurch.com, is we feature high challenge. That means men gathering together in groups uh, with a, a speaker and a teacher and some praise and worship and a message of high challenge, and then we send the men into small group that we also provide the curriculum for. We have two 40-week curriculums. Our third one is being produced as we speak. We'll have a third one in 2022, uh, and uh, these are designed for men to sit in small groups and then get deeper in the Word of God and grow spiritually. So we, we have high challenge, but then we add high equipping. We also have individual resources for you and individual. Uh, if you're looking for 40-day devotionals, we have, we have these available. We also have resources from other authors that we would recommend for you. So if you're looking for anything that you need to grow as a man of God, you find that at themanchurch.com, and we'll help you any way we can. So I'm going to let you know about some things that are going on that you can go and plug in because there's two ways to enter into the, our men's discipleship strategy. You can enter through a gathering and then get into the small groups, or you can enter through the small groups and then get to a gathering and and you go right into the system. So here's some opportunities. Uh, coming up this weekend, uh, I'll be in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Rich Wingo and I will be speaking together uh, at a Man Church One Day. Now, Man Church One Day is when we come into a, a community and uh, we have two speakers and then we have a panel where we answer some questions. We have some praise and worship. We start in the morning. We have you out at lunch. Uh, so we call that the Man Church One Day. Uh, it's almost like a little mini conference. Rich and I will be there. Uh, looking for that Linwood Baptist Church. If you get your ticket to that, you can. Uh, also, Shannon Shannon concert uh, Friday night if you want to go to that concert as well. And for the women that, that uh, may be in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, around there, there's a women's conference coming up uh, that afternoon on the same day of the 21st as they do what they call a Catalyst Weekend. So coming up, uh, our very own Michael Helms will be out doing a man church, Parkway Baptist, Tuscumbia, Alabama. That's on the 22nd. So that'll be Sunday night. Uh, they'll be kicking off the discipleship strategy, so you can be there for hear Helmsy's message and then plug into a small group. On the 23rd, uh, First Baptist Church Tuscaloosa has Ted Trailer coming in. Uh, Ted, of course, the pastor of Olive Baptist Church, where we just had a, uh, a marriage conference last weekend. Ted will be there at First Baptist Tuscaloosa on the 23rd of August. If you'd like to be part of that in Tuscaloosa, they're doing uh, our discipleship strategy, and so this is their next gathering. And if you've never heard Ted Trailer, I would encourage you to be there. On the 27th of August, uh, this is going to be in Helena, Alabama. This is the Birmingham area. I'll be there speaking at the church at Old Town. This is kind of a combination of two sister churches, Valleydale, uh, which is my home church, and then uh, the church at Old Town, 
we'll be combining, and we'll have a night for the men. We'll have food. We'll have games to play, and then we'll enter into the service at, at 7 o'clock. The food and the games start at 6. And uh, if you'd like to join us for that, details are at rickandbubba.com uh, under upcoming events. Uh, also coming up on the 29th, uh, a couple things that you can be part of. Rich Wingo will do a man church at First Baptist Church Columbus, and then uh, my former home church where I was there for 20 years uh, will be having their man church. You know, that's where we started this system. We figured it out at Shades Mountain Baptist Church in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, or Vestavia Hills, and uh, they will have their man church coming up on the 29th, and Dr. Robert Smith will be bringing the message. And if you can get to that, to hear Dr. Smith, I would highly encourage you to do that. And they'll be plugging men into, uh, we have two curriculums that we have, and they've got to both of them going at the same time. You can plug into either one of those. So there's some opportunities for you to get plugged in. There's others, and you can find those either at rickandbubba.com under upcoming events, burgessministries.com, if Sherry and I are involved, or if you just want to find any man church that anybody might be speaking at from our team or other speakers, go to themanchurch.com. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump into our brand new uh, series from the book of 1 Corinthians. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to walk through your word. Uh, may we hear what we need to hear. Uh, may your Holy Spirit give us clarity where maybe we need some help. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to uh, to speak your word. May, may uh, my imperfectness uh, be done away with and your perfectness speak to us clearly and may our hearts be prepared to hear what you have to say. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So let's talk about uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, when we do uh, books of the Bible, it's pretty straightforward. We're going to go through every single word, every single verse, and we'll walk through this book of the Bible until we get to the end of it. If you want to see some of our past Bible studies, if you're on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, just click on Playlist. You can see all kinds of series that we've done, or you can do audio only by going to BurgessMinistries.com. Click on Listen. You'll see the Wednesday Bible study, and you'll see our audio archives from past studies as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians I, is, is something that I felt God drawing me to. We were doing this on a Tuesday night Bible study at home with my wife Sherry, one of our sons, uh, and actually both, two of our sons uh, while one was still home from, from college. Uh, and, uh, and then my youngest son's girlfriend. We, we've been doing this just about uh, every Tuesday night. So we've walked through this. Some of the commentaries I'll be using, some of you like to know that. Uh, Warren uh, Worsby uh, in his Be Wise series, some of this comes from his uh, commentary on 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. John Phillips, uh, masterful theologian, uh, some of his commentary will be featured in this as well. And then, uh, the, but, but mostly it'll just be the Holy Spirit because sometimes... It doesn't require a lot of commentary because the Bible just says what it says. So, uh, so let's start out on what Paul is doing. So Paul was in, uh, in, in Corinth actually when he wrote the book of Romans. It's important for us to know that. Now, so Paul has been spending time in Corinth, and, and this is a church uh, that is, if you want to think about the, the background of, of, of this church and what Paul was writing to, Picture uh, for those of you, those, which is the majority of you that uh, that are watching this or listening to this, and and you're in America. Uh, think about Las Vegas, city of sin. Think about one of the, if you can think of the most decadent cities uh, that you've ever known anywhere in the world. That that was that was Corinth. Corinth um, was just full of sin. It was every kind of debauchery that you could uh, possibly imagine. Uh, and a lot of the the commentaries and theologians think that when Paul is writing the book of Romans, because he writes it while he's in Corinth, 
So when he's writing the book of Romans, if you remember this part in Romans chapter 1, I'd always kind of pictured in my mind, maybe you have too, that when he's pointing out all the sin and all the wickedness and everything that is going on, a society that is depraved in Romans chapter 1, I always thought that he was writing that picturing Rome. Uh, most commentators say that's really incorrect. What he's writing about is what he sees in Corinth. Uh, and he's talking about the, that, the, that the world has gotten so bad, all these things are happening, and he's really looking around and seeing them in the city of Corinth where he's actually writing this from. I'm sure it was going on in Rome as well, but they're saying he's seeing it firsthand because this church, I mean, is sitting in the middle of every kind of evil that you could possibly imagine. It was a truly, it was a true sin city. It was wealthy. Uh, it really, anything you wanted, anytime, anywhere uh, was available, and they were willing, if you had the money, they were willing to provide it. And I mean everything. So it was, uh, it was a very decadent place. And what Paul is concerned about is now he's getting word back that the church at Corinth, instead of them impacting this world, this world is starting to impact them. And, and, and there's a great analogy that John Phillips uses. He says, you know, it's almost like he said, there's nothing wrong with the church, you know, sitting in, in, in a society that is sinful. That, there's nothing wrong with that. The church can function as light and darkness. He said it's kind of like a ship, and he used this analogy. He goes, you know, a ship is made to actually float in water, so a ship being in water is not a problem, just like the church being in a, a dead, dying, sinful society. He said where the ship starts to sink and where the church starts to sink is when the water starts coming in. That, 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 that's when you got problems. And Paul was getting word uh, that, uh, that the, the church was starting to let water come in. Uh, instead of them impacting society, society was impacting them. Uh, so in, in Corinth, the world had come into the church. And Paul is about to address this, and you're going to see that he, he gets very upset about some of the things he's hearing is going on in the church. And uh, so that's why I think it's important for us because I think we're living in a time right now that we got to be real careful that especially the Western church, when the Western church gets more concerned with being woke than it does at advancing the kingdom of God, we've now let the world take our message and, and, and water it down or take our message and change it. And we got to be real careful that we're not moving like Corinth, that we weren't moving... We're not moving into a situation where we're more concerned about how people see us than how God sees us. And, uh, and so that, that, that's going to be kind of the theme uh, throughout this, this letter to, uh, to the Corinthians. Uh, so in, in the beginning, we see that, that Paul tells us, he said, Paul, uh, called by the will of God, this is verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenes. Now, when, now, who is Sothenes? He, he's letting you know, first of all, they did letters different then. And I want you to picture this. It's a really, really big deal when a letter comes from any of the apostles. Uh, you, this is what it would look like. We would be sitting in, in you know, whatever. You know, I was raised uh, in, the, in the Baptist church, so it would be like me sitting at First Baptist Church, Corinth. Okay? And, and so all of a sudden, word comes in and says, you're not going to believe what's going to happen this Sunday. Uh, the Apostle Paul has sent us a letter. And w somebody in the church is going to read this letter to the entire congregation. Uh, so you don't want to miss this Sunday. And so this letter was coming in, and, and, and this, this means that um, um, uh, Paul 
this means that that's one of those days like people that come to church every now and then, they're going to be there. Uh, and, and the most influential people of the church and of that society, they're going to be there. Because today's the day that we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul. And, and Paul was one of these figures when it came to the churches, you either loved him or you hated him. And, and there were people who hated him. And there were people who loved him. But let me tell you one thing that Paul uh, did not bring to the table, and that's indifference. Uh, so, so, and, and this is one of the things that, that kind of uh, threw me a little bit uh, that I didn't really know is that uh, the Apostle Paul was really more beloved for his writing than he was his speaking. Uh, indications are from the day he really wasn't a great speaker. I mean, what he said was great, but where he really, really, really was gifted is it, it was his writing. Uh, and a lot of times he would be dictating it, but it seemed to be that he was more comfortable dictating or writing something than he was actually getting up and publicly speaking. As a public speaker, they said he really wasn't all that dynamic. Uh, but what he had to say was extremely dynamic. I'm just talking about skill set. So, uh, and what they would do differently, like we do, we, we sign a, uh, our name at the end of a letter. They didn't do it that way. What they wanted to do was to give you, uh, from the very beginning, who it is. And that's why Paul said, Paul, meaning that's who's writing this letter, I, I'm doing this, and, and I'm called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And, and then he says, and I got our brother with me. I got, I got Sothnes with me. Now, who, who is Sothnes? Uh, he was very prominent. Uh, he was a ruler of the synagogue. And you might remember that um, uh, when, when Paul was there, and this was the synagogue that Paul ended up finding a place to live right next to it. Do you remember this in the book of Acts? And then he starts going into that synagogue and preaching, even though they were upset about it. Well, well Sothenes is the one. That's his synagogue. He was in charge of it. So Paul wants you to know that I got him with me. So then he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both our Lord and ours. So, so he starts out and he's saying that, uh, that, that I want you, first of all, to know my resume. Uh, Paul says, uh, I am by the will of God, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, why, why is Paul making this so important? You think, well, everybody, no. Remember, there was always this pushback that Paul didn't really walk with Jesus, okay? And Paul always would have to come back and say, look, Jesus came to me on the road to Damascus. I encountered Jesus. I saw the glorified Jesus. I was confronted by Jesus, and I was redeemed by Jesus. I am legitimately an apostle because I was given my ministry to the Gentiles by Jesus himself. And so he, he wants you to know, he says, called by the will of God to be an apostle. What he's saying is, what I have to say with my credentials has credence. And it's important that, 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 uh, that you listen to what I have to say. And so he, uh, he's going to do this because there's nothing worse. Why, why is this important? Have you ever had somebody come and start getting on you and you in the back of your mind, you go, who is this person? What gives them the authority to come in here and start saying this kind of stuff? So, so what Paul is saying is, let me tell you who I am before I tell you what I'm about to say. And, of course, he's also smart because uh, he's telling them who the letter is written to. And he says the letter is going to be written to the saints. That means those that, that have claimed to be redeemed. It's going to be written to the local church. Uh, it's going to be writ written to all the people, not just some of you. You ever had that? Uh, we've all been there, haven't we? There's a message going on, and your thought is, well, this, he ain't talking to me. He said, I, I want you to know I'm talking to everybody. There's nobody that's exempt from this message, okay? 
uh, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. And then I like that he brings this up because when I first saw that, saw it because you know when you when you do these expository lessons, it, it, I hope you all benefit, but it benefits me so much because instead of getting down into the letters about things that I've studied for years, you're now brought back and you said in, in these studies and go, no, you got to go through every word. And I, and I thought about since I know he's about to get on these people. Why is he saying that they've been sanctified in Christ Jesus? Well, he's saying that because what we've said in here for seven years. Y'all claim to have been sanctified by Jesus. You know he's going to get around to. So why is all this going on? So what he's saying is this letter is to a church, a group of people that have claimed that you are sanctified in Jesus. And if that's the case, then when I get to some of these inconsistencies, you're going to see why I find these to be inconsistent because of, you're supposed to be under the authority of Christ. You're supposed to be a sanctified people. And then, again, uh, he says um, uh, that, um, uh, that he reminds them who created the church. And I love this. What is he saying? To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You know, he's saying, don't forget who the church belongs to. It don't belong to y'all. It don't belong to me. It's God's church that, 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 that is under the authority of Jesus. And then he also reminds them what? He's, I'm talking to the local church, but what else does he make clear? And I'm also talking to the universal church. But you know why that's important? Guess who we are right now going through it? We're the universal church. Didn't none of us attend the church at Corinth? But this letter still stands for us, doesn't it? So Paul even knows this. Look, this is a message from God. It's to everybody. It's to the universal church, not just the local church. Yes, it's to these group of people, but it's also to you. And then he starts talking about salvation. Look what he says in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is, he is saying to them, uh, which, which is good, it's, it's kind of a salutation and, and he starts out, which is smart, he starts out by saying, now before we jump in, I want you to know that I'm coming to you in grace, I'm coming to you in peace, and all of this is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The, I'm not saying this. You need to understand where this is coming from, and I want you to know that I come to you because I love you, and I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus. So then he goes on, and again being smart in verse 4, what does he say? He says he's thankful for him. He said, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So first thing he says is what? He said, I'm thankful for you, and I'm, I'm thankful for how gracious you've been. Uh, I'm thankful to you personally. I'm always thankful for you. And you know what else he's saying? I'm also thankful to you as a pastor. Listen to what he says next. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking, and look what he goes into next, in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing, this is the day of the Lord when Jesus returns, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, why is that important? He's saying, look, the day of the Lord is coming, 
and you are patiently waiting for that, but I must let you know that for the Lord Jesus who will who sustain you to the end, if you are sanctified by Jesus and you're redeemed by Jesus, the day that he comes, you'll stand before him guiltless. So, so this is this Paul knows what he's doing. He's making sure that everybody understands what what's at stake here and why it's important for me to talk about this. It reminded me, that line right there in verse 8 reminded me of 1 John. Because, you know, the epistle of John, he's doing the same thing. The Gnostics have come in. They've got heresy and apostasy going on in the church. And John is saying, hey, guys, we need to get ourselves right with Jesus so that we don't shrink on the day of the Lord. Oh, no, he's here. Remember us talking about that? He's saying, you want to stand, but, you know, if you're right with Jesus, you're anticipating with great joy the, the returning of the Lord. If you're not right with Jesus, now the return of the Lord is going to be a different game for you. So he says, but you would be guiltless on the day of the Lord. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what is he saying to them here? This is good. He, he, showed, that, he showed the gratitude for their grace. He showed gratitude personally, perpetually, pastorally. And then what does he say? He wants to talk about their gifts. He said, I acknowledge, in verse 5, that you're a talented church. Uh, I understand that you have the gift of utterance, meaning you guys are gifted enough to understand what I'm about to say. I like that, too. You, and, that, and that, again, is smart. He's not saying to these people, now, I'm going to be talking to you all about stuff you probably don't even understand. What he's saying is we're about to talk about some stuff that because of your spiritual gifts and that you're a spiritually talented congregation, you should be able to understand exactly what I'm talking about. You know what that means? The claims that you've made, and that apply. Now we're all at different levels of our sanctification in this group, and, and those of you that are watching and listening, different levels of sanctification. But there's a lot of us that I've seen you around, and I've been hearing from you for years, and I'm just going to tell you straight up, me included, none of us can can claim ignorance that we don't know what everybody's talking about. We don't know who this Jesus is. We don't know about sin. We don't know about redemption. Uh, what he's saying is you, you're not going to be able to, if you are who you claim you are, when I start pointing out the things that shouldn't be going on in your lives and in this church, because of your knowledge and your gift of understanding and your gift of understanding the utterances that come from God and the spiritual gifts in this congregation, y'all know what I'm talking about and you ought to have the same concern that I do because you're not ignorant. So that's, you know, you, you ever had that before? You, I remember the, the time that my dad would talk to me about asking me if I was stupid. Uh, and uh, you ever had to answer that for yourself? It's, um, and if I ever said no, then he would say, well, what you just did makes it look like you are. And then if I ever said I wasn't stupid, he would say, see, no, you're not. Based on this, this, and this, you can't claim to be stupid, and that's what really frustrates me. So there was a no win with that question, but, but that's kind of what Paul is doing. He's saying, you guys cannot claim ignorance when, when I decide to go here. So he says they're a talented church. They have the gift of utterance and understanding. Uh, verse 6, they're a testifying church, even as the testimony about Christ was what? Confirmed in you. You guys have been saying that y'all are all in for Jesus. So you're, you're a testifying church. Verse 7, you're a triumphant church so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? Y'all got everything you need to be game changers. You guys should be advancing the kingdom of God. We ought to see impact from this place. 
you got no excuses because God's given this church everything you need. You know what else he says, which I think is, is interesting in, in uh, uh, the latter part of 7 then into 8, that un- undoubtedly the church at Corinth was a trusting church. Who, look at what he says at the end of verse 7. He says, wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at 8. Who will sustain you to the end. He said, you guys seem to trust that Jesus, because of him, John 16, 33, in this world you will face tribulation, but I say this so that you'll have peace. Because of me, I've overcome the world, so you never should lose joy in your heart. I've overcome whatever you're facing, and you guys claim to believe that. So Paul is, is really, really setting this up. He says that they expect the, 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 the return of the Lord in verse 7. He says the Lord's confirmation on everything in verse 8 that you guys believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is and you've been in here claiming that you completely understand it. You've been claiming that you're redeemed by him and you also claim in verse 9, look at this, God is faithful. You claim that, uh, that, that God is faithful and you claim that because of Jesus, you have fellowship with God. You see what Paul's doing here, don't you? Because you know what he's getting ready to say, and we'll get into this more next week and start. We'll get a little bit of it here. We'll get a little bit of his, uh, you know, straighten us out a little bit today. He's setting all this up so he can say what? So based on all this, what in the world is going on? I've just given your own resume to you. So how can the things that I'm getting reports on be going on? What he's doing is he's challenging if what they claim is actually true. And he's complimenting them because a lot of them remember what they came from. And there's a beautiful part we'll get to deeper in our study. Man, and I probably shouldn't even get ahead of it now, but it's just so beautiful. There's a beautiful part coming up because you've got to understand these people were redeemed, and some of us in here, including your teacher, were redeemed from very sinful things. And he's telling them, man, you, look, look at all that God has done. Look at how you used to be compared to how you are now. What are we doing starting to drift? Because they had come from some very, very, you know, Las Vegas-like life because they had all come from a city of, of great sin. And, and I can relate to that too. And, and, and there is a beautiful part later when he starts saying this, these terrible, terrible things that go on with human beings that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And later in this letter, you know what he says? And you were once like this. Which means what? You're not anymore. You were once like this. And so now he goes on to say, and you can just see people, I, I, was it, I can't remember who I heard teaching that, if it was Farrar or who it was one time. He said he actually pictured these men sitting in here when, when Paul says, and once you were like this, looking at each other going, yeah, we were. You know, I remember we used to do all that. And so now he sets up to say, based on everything I've said, I got some things I want to talk to you about. So he starts off with what? Divisions in the church. So in in verse 10, here's what he talks about. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, 
anybody listening to this and watching this, you probably, I hope, if not, you need to be not just attending, you need to be involved in a local church. You will not grow. You will never advance the way you need to. Your marriage will never be what it needs to be. Your family will never be what it needs to be if you don't immerse yourself in a local church. And don't just attend, but be involved. This attending and watching a worship service can have some impact, but it will not change you. You will not mature. You will not grow. You have to get involved. And, and, and a lot of you guys are involved in this, so this is part of doing more, being involved more. And I'm speaking from experience. So, what he's, so, so if you're involved in a church at all, I'm going to go ahead and guess if you're paying attention to the church, universal, there seems to be a lot of division, right, over ridiculous things. And, and this, is, this is not new to, to the church of fallen people, but here's the Apostle Paul saying, I appeal to you, brothers, whatever church you attend, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And why do you think this is important? What do you think lost people think about us when they look at all of our different denominations and all the stuff? And I can tell you this, speaking from experience. Somebody asked me this question yesterday. Uh, I was doing an interview about uh, this coming weekend. We're doing the Man Church One Day in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And so the newspaper there contacted me and said, hey, we want to talk about this. And, and they said, and when you do a secular show like you guys do, do you get a lot of pushback because you talk so much about your faith? And I said, not from lost people. We, we really don't. Uh, I think lost people go, you know, we don't believe what you believe or I'm in some sort of process or, hey, that's their thing. Uh, very rarely is there a complaint that comes from someone that does not believe what we believe. But let me tell you where the complaints come from. Denominational stuff. You're not doing it right. That's where most of it comes from. Division. If you would just be like this, you'd be a real, complete Christian. If you would just do this, you'd be that. You'd be a Christian. You know, you're close, but if you just this right here is what's missing, uh, and it's all this. It's people doing exactly what Paul tells us not to do later in this letter. People majoring on the minors, and Paul says we got to stop all that. What we need to be telling the world are the things we agree on as a church, not the things we disagree on like rituals and, you know, the free will versus, you know, election and, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I don't even, there are just so many of these things that the lost world goes, we have no idea what you're talking about, and it sounds terribly confusing to us, and it doesn't look like y'all can agree on God. And, and that's a huge mistake. And so especially in this city, what this city needed to see is a church that's talking to sinful people about there is hope and grace and there's redemption available to those who will repent of their sins and turn to God that he will save you. And, and what I find is it's almost like I think that some of this denominational stuff, and my denomination is totally secondary to, to I'm a follower of Jesus, period. I'm a disciple of Jesus, period. And, and, and I'm going to focus on those things. Jesus has told me so clear the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I really don't have time for the other stuff. You know, it's like somebody telling me about, talking to me about, 
you know, election and all that. And I said, let me ask you this. Is there anything in this conversation, are you saying you disagree that we're supposed to go out and make disciples and teach people everything that Jesus has, has commanded us? No, I mean, that's in Scripture. Well, then let's just concentrate there. If you and I will do that, when we get up and we're standing before God, maybe he can tell us about how all this time and choices and him being sovereign and he didn't answer to time and being above time, maybe he can, man, we, we may spend, as Adrian Rogers said, who's already there, he said, we may not get to that for a 1,000 years because for a 1,000 years when we step into his presence, for 1,000 years we may just say holy. For a thousand years, because of what you got no idea what that's going to be like when you stand in the presence of the one and only living God. And I assure you, a Q and A is not going to be the first thing we think about. We're probably going to get on our face and cry, "Holy," is what we're probably going to do. And we're going to be, and we're going to, we we're not going to be able to believe that we're allowed to even stand in His presence. And we're going to cry, and we're going to, we're going to say, "I cannot believe." how merciful and gracious you've been. And I, I doubt, I, I, my first thought will be, I got a few things I want to set you straight on. Okay? I just don't think that's going to be it. And, uh, and so while I think we spend times on this kind, of, this kind of stuff, honestly, this is my own opinion, speaking from a person who's human and have these same struggles, because we want somebody to hear how smart we are. We want somebody to hear that we've got some kind of deep theological point that we just can't wait to make so somebody will be, wow, that's impressive. That's really deep. Did it point them to Jesus? Did it point them to redemption? Or you want to win an argument with somebody in the church? You want to show them how much they, that you figured something out they haven't figured out. And if they would just be as advanced as you are, they could be a Christian just strong as you are. You know, really, let me tell you this. I think here's what we all should do. We talked about this in our last study. Here's what I'm impressed with. How many people, when we stand and eternity are going to look at you and say it was your obedience to Jesus that God used, because we don't save anybody, that God used to redeem me. Can you even think of one person that would say that about you? So if, if you don't have that, I really don't care to hear what your theology is. Because I can, all of us can understand that Jesus said, I've redeemed you. Now you go and you make disciples and you teach them everything that I've commanded you. Number one, I better figure out what he commanded me. That's going to take some time. And then I need to be going out making disciples. And I promise you, I prayed with people that were weeping like I was weeping when I was redeemed. And I was crying out, I am a sinful, wretched man. Jesus, please forgive me. Do you know that not any time in that that I stop and say, i got some theological questions I want to ask you about. How do you think God works all this out? Do you think I had a choice to do that? Do you think... That was already done. and you know, nobody, nobody, Everybody's like, man, I can't believe I'm saved. And then through the sanctification process, let's just mature in the faith. And if y'all want to go off by yourself and have these other conversations and major on the minors, you can do that. That'd be great. But don't do it in front of lost people. Paul tells us don't engage in foolish arguments in front of lost people. And I try to avoid them on the show, but sometimes they sneak in. And I've kind of learned to kind of just do away with them and not even engage in that. In the early days, you know, I came out of the gate and I was, I was immature in the faith and I was all fired up about this and I wanted to take on, I wanted to die on every hill and I wanted to have every kind of disagreement I could possibly have. And I realized pretty quick that Jesus said, hey, how about grow up a little bit and be wiser than that? And so I've tried to become wiser. I want this gray stuff to count. As, as Sherry said, she says, I watched my husband look like Henry VIII when you were 305 pounds with a black beard. 
Then I saw you go through the times when you look like Charles Spurgeon, and you're now turning into Zeus. So, uh, so anyway, um, I said, well, now you've got me to a pagan god. But anyway, so, um, but maybe there's some wisdom, maybe more like Moses, not, not Zeus. But anyway, so he says, first of all, I want us all on the same page. Now, he's going to get real specific about what he's talking about. Verse 11. He says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. Now, who's Chloe? So Chloe was actually a powerful uh, woman of God uh, in the early church. And Chloe uh, had, had a house church that met at her house quite often. And she was uh, 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 really big in Paul's ministry. And Paul trusted her immensely. And what was happening is these people that do a Bible study with Chloe, what we would say, they, they, they went back to Paul and said, hey, there's stuff going on at Corinth. You're going to have to do something. It's, it's getting out of hand. There's bad stuff going on there. And because they were people that were in a Bible study with Chloe, he thought there was, he, he put some weight into that. And so he says, um, uh, for it's been reported to me that Chloe's people, meaning the people in her small group or people that would meet regularly at her house, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And then he says in 12, now what I mean is, I like that. Don't you hate when somebody comes to you and they make an accusation, but they have no specifics? Well, I heard there's been some problems. Can you be more specific? Well, I just heard problems. I can't even, I can't even respond to you. I don't know what you're talking about. He says, so let me be specific. He said, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, who is Peter, or I follow Christ. And then he says in 13, what, is Christ divided? What do you all mean? What are you talking about? You know what we find out pretty quick right here? Guess what else is not new? You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Guess what else is not new? Pastor worship. Celebrity pastors. Uh, I, I, I'm more, I'm just been out of shape. Let me tell you where it's always trouble. Be real careful of this. Real careful. Listen to me now. This is big. Be real careful of this. If you ever hear somebody from a congregation and they talk more about what a pastor said than what Jesus said or what the Bible says, be very leery of that. Let's say their pastor's name is, I'll just pull something out of the air. Uh, well, let's just use some examples here. Let's use Apollos. And I'll tell you why he had a big following. So you go to sell them and say, well, you know, I was studying the Bible today in Corinth. Well, you know, Apollo says, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, you know, and then we were studying this. Man, did you see in verse 7? Well, according to Apollos, verse so-and-so. And, -so, and let me tell you what Apollos said. And Apollos said this, and Apollos said that, and I just love Apollos. You know, I go to this church, I just love Apollos. Uh, we just love Apollos, and Apollos this, and Apollos that. I want a shirt with Apollos' face on it. I want a picture on Instagram with Apollos. I anytime you see that kind of stuff, where they talk more about their pastor than they do about Jesus, that's a red flag. We, I mean, we're fallen people. We're going to worship something. You know, we, we worship celebrities. We, you know, you, we worship all that. And people worship pastors. And, 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 and this was going on in Corinth. People were basically saying uh, they were picking uh, who they liked the best. And uh, so th if you want to know about these three, the people who are all about Paul and the commentaries that I've read on this society, the people that made a big deal about Paul, they were the highly educated people. Because Paul, highly educated. I mean, he was edu is educated. I mean, he was rabbi educated, okay? So a lot of the new converts from the, that were Jewish people that were Christians, Messianic Jews, they were really big on Paul because he's one of them. And he was highly educated. So the educated loved Paul. Guess about the ones who loved Apollos. And we have this, don't they? Apollos had very, very 
incredible skills as a communicator. He was a great orator. And, you know, you heard those people, you hear them speak like, man, that's a gifted speaker. Well, Apollos was incredibly gifted as a speaker. He was eloquent. He was beloved. He had personality that people were drawn to because he was a great orator. Now, remember, if you go back to the book of Acts, Apollos got out there a little quick after his conversion, and he was so eloquent that people couldn't wait to hear him speak, but he didn't have his theology right. And you remember Priscilla and Aquila, you talk about a couple that is the, I mean, hoss of the church. You talk about a power couple. Priscilla and Aquila pulled Apollos to the side and said, hey, we need to have a word with you. And so they took eloquent Apollos and they took him away for a little while and said, we need to disciple you. You're new to the faith. Man, you got a lot of gifts. Everybody really likes you. You're just not telling them the right thing. You know, I, I can relate to that. When I first started, I had a platform, but I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge about the Bible. And I probably talked a little earlier than I should have. And the Priscilla's and Aquila's in my life said, hey, we got to grow you a little bit because you, you got a lot to say and people like to hear you say it, but everything you're saying is not exactly right. So they got Apollos over there and then they discipled him and he's ready to go. So he became powerful. Now he's got good theology and he's gifted as a speaker. So the people that loved him, they loved his gifts. And then, of course, what? Oh, Cephas, Peter. You know, he had celebrity. Hey, if Peter's coming to town, you better get a Colosseum. You better get an arena because everybody wants to come here for Peter. Why? He was one of them. He's one of the 12, and he was the leader of the 12. He was in Jesus' top three. So if Peter's coming to town, everybody wanted to hear Peter. And Peter had a resume that couldn't anybody else touch of these three. You know, you had the educated, you had the, the, the eloquent, and then you had the celebrity. And so this was causing factions. And, and Peter was well-respected, too, but I'm just telling you that he was, a, he, he was a celebrity. So and a lot of people would talk more about what Peter said than what Jesus said. And so guess what we have from the very beginning? Denominations. We think Apollos is saying the right thing. Well, we think Peter. I mean, he was actually with Jesus. Well, can anybody touch Paul? And Paul is setting all this straight, and he goes, hey, we got to drop all this. Christ is not divided. He said about himself, look at 13, was I crucified for you? <laughs> no. Hey, they can put me on the cross all day long. It ain't going to save you. Okay? And he says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So notice he's taking, I like this. This is smart. This is humility. He doesn't start saying, was Peter crucified? Was Apollos crucified? Were you baptized in the name of Apollos? Were you baptized in the name of Peter? This is humility. What are the ones he takes on first? the ones that are all about him. He takes that on first, saying that it's not right. You don't need to be caring as much about me as you do, and don't start saying that you're following Paul. You start saying you're following Jesus. And he says, um, uh, I thank God. I love this in 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius. So he says, look, I did baptize two of you, but I'm thankful that I didn't baptize a lot of you because I, I don't want you all to confuse that my baptism was something special. I'm glad that everybody but these two were baptized by somebody else. And uh, he said, because I don't want you, any attention to be brought to me so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. And then I love this, and he comes back, and it's like he catches something that he forgot. Do you love this in 16? Well, now, I did baptize also the house of, uh, of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. It's almost like, you know, you ever told something, all of a sudden you think, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm leaving something out. 
Okay, now I did go over to Stephanus' household. I did baptize his household, and I don't think I baptized anybody else. So bottom line, he says, that's really not the point. I probably got too specific. I'm glad that I didn't baptize many of you because I don't want anybody going around saying you baptized in the name of Paul because being baptized in the name of the Paul doesn't mean anything in the name of Paul. Look at 17, he clarifies. What does he say? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So what does he want them to understand, and what does he want us to understand? He says we need to concentrate, and I'll say it again, on the things that we agree on, and we need to get rid of letting us lead with all the things that we disagree on. And, um, and he says, the reason why I know that this has taken place, he said that um, because, you know, Chloe's people have come and told me, and, uh, and, and, and I want to be sure that, that I'm pointing you to Jesus, and I'm not pointing you to anyone else, including me. But that's important, isn't it? Because, you know, always be leery of any pastor that wants to be a celebrity. Be real leery of that. Because human beings can't handle that. We've never been able to handle that. And uh, I know that even um, in, um, in my own life, there, there was a time, and, and I was guilty of this, um, that, uh, that I would... Um, that if I got an email or something and somebody was complimenting something that, that I happened to be part of uh, and, and, I, and I was wrong in this, I remember I'd always try to think of some reason that I could send that email to, to the rest of the guys under the premise that I wanted them to know of the things that are happening with the platform of the show tying in. But deep down I was convicted is, no, I just want everybody to hear the compliment I got. And I knew right then that I was on, in real, real dangerous ground and at that point, I was convicted that I really just needed to shut up. And if somebody said something that was uh, encouraging, just keep it to yourself. You know, if, if somebody said something that was meant by God to me to help me when I was tired or, you know, when I was discouraged, I'm thankful for that. But you just keep it to yourself. You don't rush out and look for opportunities to tell people even about a compliment that you may have received because sooner or later, it was one of the things that I was warned about uh, because, you know, it was funny this past weekend at the, at the men's conference, I mean at the marriage conference, uh, my wife and I are, are equal, but, uh, but we're not the same. And not just the male and female dynamic, but just personality-wise. Uh, my wife is a lot more like Paul. She would rather write it than get up and have to deliver it. Uh, and speak, where I would rather speak than write it. And um, I enjoy speaking, and, and I've never had any fear of it or anything like that, never had a fear of the microphone. And, and that can be good, and it can be used, but it also can be bad. And um, so we were at this conference, and Sherry was going over every detail. You can always tell by how deep, and her, her messages are just so... Holy Spirit inspired, but also so well prepared. And um, so I get there, of course, and you know I'm I'm I've got the microphone. I don't even have it on yet, and Sherry's got it on, and she's making sure it's on. And so I, she realized I realized pretty quick 
that she knows that all the people there at the church and everything they do at this church is first class, that they're thinking that she's like me. So it's kind of loosey-goosey and, and all that. And finally, she just said to her, she goes, hey, I just want to tell you something. I'm not like him. He does this 24-7. This is what he was born to do. I'm not that way. Don't, don't treat me the way he's getting treated. I want to know if my mic's on. I want to know where I'm standing. I want to go put that chair where I want it because I want to know where that chair is going to be. I want to know where my notes are going to be. I want to know where the camera is. I want to know when we start. I want to know how we're going to start. And, of course, you know, what am I doing? I'm over there looking at the hors d'oeuvres, looking for something to eat. And, uh, and, and you know, and, and, and she literally pointed at me. She goes, don't, don't treat me. I'm not like him. And I thought to myself, I think she means that as a derogatory statement. But anyway, it was a, but, but the point she was making is, you know, we're all, we're, we have different personalities. And she says, I, and, and, sh, and what she did was incredibly powerful, but she doesn't operate the way that I operate, which is actually good for her. The danger for me is that these things come easy, even though I've learned to work so much harder, um, but, 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 and that can be bad because, as I was told flying back on, on a plane one time by a guy who had worked with Billy Graham for years, and I ended up on the plane. We'd never met each other. We'd just end up on a plane together, but we were going to the same conference. And, and he said to me, and it's what the point that Paul's trying to make, he said to me, he said, do you, do you speak a lot? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And he goes, do you, do you enjoy it? I said, I do. I, I really do. I said, you know, I do a radio show. I said, I've always been interested in this. I said, I really think that, uh, that God's gifted me. Uh, I'm doing what he called me to do. And he said, yeah, and that's going to be a problem. And I said, I'm sorry. And he said, I'm going to give you advice. And I've tried to adhere to this advice, and I'm still growing. He said, I want you to pray more, and I want you to speak less. I said, okay. I said, why is that? He said, well, obviously, you know, so I understand the power of prayer, but I understand you're making a, a, a bigger point than that. He said, because people like you, he said, you'll get yourself so overwhelmed and you'll be going in so many directions and you'll stop preparing. And he said, and you know why you'll stop preparing? Because you know you can pull it off. And he goes, and then you'll start leaning on your gifts and you'll stop leaning on Jesus and you'll fall. He said, so if you don't ever stop treating this as anything other than you need to hear from God and go say what he told you to say. And you need to know his word, and you need to spend more time praying, you need to spend more time studying, you need to spend more time preparing so that you never lean on the gifts. You're only leaning on Jesus. And that was as clear a message from God as I have ever heard and, uh, and I have tried to adhere to that. And if I ever feel myself drifting, I always hear those words. And, uh, and that's when I realized that the wife I had been given could teach me how to prepare and teach me how to research and teach me how to study, which she did and has. If y'all knew how much she is part of what you guys get taught and what all of you hear, she, is, she has done a, well, a great job being the perfect helper to her husband and helping me to be a better teacher. Uh, and so much of what I've learned from the Bible, she played a role in me learning that. 
And, and now I have learned to, to do it better on my own. And as she has said, watching me prepare for anything is a supernatural experience because that is not who I am. I am a guy who leans on the gifts and, uh, and knows he can pull it off. But I have been corrected on that, and I hope that if you ever see me doing that again, y'all will all hold me accountable. And this is what Paul is warning us. Don't make a big deal about the teacher. Don't make a big deal about the preacher. Don't make a big deal about who baptizes you other than Jesus, other than the Holy Spirit, other than God. Don't be a follower of people. Be a follower of Jesus. And the only thing good about any true teacher is Jesus. That, that's the only thing. And so um, Paul, of course, um, uh, is, is looking back on the things that he did, and he's mentioning these people, but he's reminding everybody that um, if they are looking for Paul to redeem them, if they're looking to be baptized into Paul, into Apollos, into, into Cephas or Peter, then they need to correct that. And he says, the divisions that are happening among you right now must stop. And, uh, and I've even seen many times in churches um, where there'll be a high-profile pastor and everybody will start saying that members of the church have, uh, have said, like, uh, uh, let's say the name is, is John. And you people are like Johnites. Uh, you're, you're worse than John, the, our pastor John. And, and, and then, and then they'll, they'll be successful and they'll get rid of John. And then the person they wanted comes in, and guess what this group does? Then they start worshiping the next guy because that's the guy they wanted. And Paul is warning against all this, and, and this was going on in the church of Corinth. And Paul is saying, you need to never forget, you better be going to church for one reason and one reason only, and that is to be sure that you are under the authority of Christ because he's the one that redeemed you. None of us did. So that's where we'll stop this week, and, um, uh, and we'll pick back up in verse 18 uh, next week, and we'll continue to walk through uh, this incredible book of 1 Corinthians. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for, uh, for the message today. Thank you for the ground that we made, and thank you for, um, the, I mean, right now, all of us are assessing in our minds, uh, I know that I am, where in all of this do I need to make corrections? So you, you inspired Paul to write to this church about the divisions in the church and, and that they shouldn't be worshiping gifted teachers and speakers. They need to, we need to be reminded, and included, don't worship me. Talking about himself. That we need to be focused on Jesus. What is it that we are spending more time being impressed by than being impressed by you? And it may not have anything to do with a teacher or a preacher. It may have to do with celebrities. It may have to do with athletes, coaches, uh, motivational speakers, uh, the royal family, whatever the case may be. Uh, if there's a human being that is in your place, then that human being needs to be removed. Maybe it's even our children. Putting so much pressure on our children when we put them in the place where you belong. Maybe it's our spouse putting them in the place where you belong. As Paul said about himself, nobody needs that kind of pressure because no one can live up to you. So may we focus on you and then put everybody else in their proper place. Thank you for this time together. Forgive us for where we fail you and help us to learn and glean everything you intend. In your holy name we pray.
Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us. And uh, Lord willing, we'll talk to you again next week.